Wednesday night, February 2nd. So this will be a better Savior, uh, learning to enter into his rest. And this will, this is carried over from Sunday service. So, you know, I, I often mention or say something like, you know, for those who are listening on a CD, yeah, I, I mentioned that just because I know we got a lot of people who listen on CD. Well, now we have people listening on a podcast. <laughs> so we have right now on Spotify, you can go, you download Spotify, which I've been hearing a lot about that app because of people being canceled. So I was familiar with it. So the other night I downloaded it and was able to listen to the creation series and this past Sunday's service. Very cool. What is it? Spotify? Spotify. S-P-O-T-I-F-Y? Yep. If you have a smartphone, you can download that app. It's a free app. And you can play music on that, and you can find your favorite podcast. Which you would type in Lafayette Church, and then S L Hall. Yeah. So tell everybody about it, and you can get them to rate it. There's no rating right now. No rating. Imagine that. No rating. So, it's going to be on Apple and Google as well as soon as it gets approved. It's on Google? Okay. So, now it's on Google. As far as, you know, however you search for your podcast, try it out. See if you can find it on whichever podcast you like to use. Podcast. Uh, Beth called me or texted me yesterday. I called her, talked to her. She's so thrilled, so thrilled that she can get it on her phone now. Put her earbuds in, wash dishes. She can just do chores and listen to it as she's doing that and kind of drown out other noises. So it's just a really good tool. So, Dan, thank you so much for putting forth the effort to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm just very thankful. And it's just I'm amazed. I'm amazed at you know, what, what we've done so far. So we have, we have a really good... Uh, team right now, and we've done some amazing things in a short period of time. So it's just, I'm just very thankful. All righty, so let's get started. You know, we'll, we'll, we, we may do some things to perfect it over time. Um, I need a cough button. I need a sneeze, you know, cough and sneeze button. Uh, it's going to be, it's, it's, it sounds good. Sounds very good. The sound quality is good. Um, it's just those things that you don't think about, but over, you know, when you listen to it, you realize, you know, we could do this a little better. I could do that a little better. And, but I also, I kind of like the, uh, just the, what do you call it? It's, just, it's not real formal. I kind of like that. Yeah, the casual style to it. Just, it's this laid back. And I think most people would enjoy listening to it just because of the way it is. So uh, I listened to a sermon 
this morning, Todd uh, forwarded a sermon to, to me from Pastor Nick down at West Salem, uh, one hour and six minute sermon on not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was very, very good. Um, so there's, there's, there's people out there that are preaching the word, and that is good. And we need to pray for each other, support each other. All right, so I'm going to get started. This past Sunday, I mentioned uh, 1 Timothy 3.16. And I'm, just, I'm going to read a little devotional just because, I mean, I just happened to, to pick that out as, you know, something to watch for in different versions of the Bible. So we'll, I'm going to read a little devotional. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your many blessings. And Father, we'd like to lift up a couple people to you. Father, we'd like to lift up Pastor Nick and the good work that he's doing in Salem and, um, you know, give him strength and and courage to continue on. And Father, we'd like to lift up Pastor Jay down at um, Grace Bible Church in Daleville and very thankful for him and what he's done to help with, uh, with us here at this church and with me personally. And Father, I'd like to lift up Rusty as he's going through some surgery, well, some heart issues tomorrow. He's being taken care of at the VA and want to lift him up. He'll be there in the morning. And Father, we'd like to lift up Peter Walker and, you know, touch him, give him a healing touch. And Father, as we get into your word tonight, I pray that the Holy Spirit will guide me. The Holy Spirit will help all of us to understand your, your word. And Father, I just pray that we would be a people who love your word, that we would read it, we would study it, and get it from different places as far as you know, different outlets, there's so many different ways that we can, we can listen, that we can look into your word. But Father, the Holy Spirit is so important. And Father, just having, having no doubt in your word is so important. And I just pray that each and every one of us will read our Bibles with the confidence that you have preserved your word. And if we would know it in our minds and in our hearts, things will be better. And the more people that we can minister to and point to you and point to your only begotten Son and what he did for us, the better things will be for, for everyone. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First Timothy 3.16, this is a commentary, I mean, a... Uh, a devotional from uh, John Phillips. And that, that was the verse that I picked out this past Sunday for comparing versions of the Bible. And, you know, God was manifest in the flesh where most of the other versions just say He was manifest in the flesh. And very important that we, we don't miss those places in the Word of God that that show us that Jesus is 
God in the flesh. So when it says God was manifest in the flesh, that's really important. It's a good verse to go to. So this little devotion just kind of goes along with it, and I just happened to run across it. Great is the mystery. This is from John Phillips. Great is the mystery, said the inspired apostle. God was manifest in the flesh. First, there was a plan rooted in eternity. The plan was made before ever time began, before ever the rustle of an angel's wing disturbed the silence of eternity. It was made before ever the mystery of iniquity raised its head in the universe and before the mystery of godliness was conceived. It was the great plan of God to make guilty people godly. That plan was rooted in eternity. Thus Jesus is the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 8. Next, there was a place rooted on earth. God in His wisdom chose our planet to be the place where He would deal with the sin question when it raised its head in the universe. He would send His own Son to earth, a tiny planet circling an insignificant sun, 30,000 light years from the center of a distant galaxy of 100 billion stars. And having chosen this planet to be the place, he picked a remote and insignificant town in a small and unimportant province to be the place. It was not glorious Athens, home of a thousand thinkers, not imperial Rome, home of countless legions, not favored Jerusalem, home of a long line of illustrious kings, but Bethlehem, hidden among the hills, away from the rush and roar of the world. Then, too, there was a path rooted in Scripture. For once the mystery took form and God was manifest in the flesh, He followed a predetermined path from a cradle humble beyond anything that could have been imagined, to a death, horrendous too, beyond anything imagined. And that predetermined path was spelled out in the library of 39 spirit-inspired books that made up the Old Testament. His birth, his life, his character, his death, his tomb, his resurrection, everything was foreknown and foretold. No other person on this planet has had his coming character and career so amazingly foretold. When Herod heard from the wise men that the Messiah had been born, he appealed at once to the rabbis he he kept at court. And where is this one to be born, he demanded. The answer came fast enough. Bethlehem, they said. Bethlehem was the place where God would be manifest in the flesh. And so it was, for the scripture cannot be broken. Herod, evil, guilt-ridden, crime-haunted man that he was, tried to murder the newborn Christ. He failed. So the mystery of making people godly had begun. So the mystery of iniquity invaded our planet brought by fallen Lucifer, which was hell's gift to earth. And now the mystery of godliness has come, brought by the, son, by the, 
by God the Son, no less, heaven's gift to us. And so we have to choose sides. Who but a fool would find it hard to decide which one to choose? We have to remember it's about Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus, introducing people to Jesus is critical. Talked about uh, the rock of our salvation. So if you'd like to turn to Psalm 95, I wanted to read it uh, this past Sunday. Wasn't able to, so we'll do it tonight. Psalm 95. As we read this, you'll remember the words here as we go to Hebrews 3 and 4. You know, I wanted to read Hebrews 3 and 4 as well and didn't get to read hardly any of it, so that will be taken care of tonight. And when I read through Hebrews 3 and 4, it's going to bring back memory of what, we, what you see in Psalm 95. <clears throat> Remember we talked about the rock in the wilderness and how Moses went to the rock and he hit the rock to get the water the first time. And then later, many years later, they had the same situation, and he went to the rock again. God told him, go to the rock. God told him to take the, take the rod as well. Went to the rock, and God said, speak to it. Speak to the rock, and it will give you the life-giving water. The living waters will come out of that rock. And it was called Haribah. And again, you'll learn more about that soon. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all little g gods. In his hand are the, are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. We're learning how to enter into, in, enter into his rest. But those, those people were being led, they were led out of Egypt, the nation of Israel, it's, it's in our Bibles, we read it, we love the story of Moses taking the people out of Egypt, parting the Red Sea, 
We learn it when we're little. We remember the story. But do we learn anything from it? Do we complain and murmur? Do we try to crucify Christ again? Do we do all these same things? Jesus came to this earth and He made a way for each and every one of us to be born again, saved from punishment forever, but He also saved us to enter into His rest and we see example after example of God's people not entering in. Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, now, who, who wrote Psalm 95? If you just study Psalm 95, try to figure it out, um, they say, we really don't know. Whenever you, whenever you see uh, talk about a pasture and sheep, chances are it's going to be David. When you go to Hebrews, we're going to read this, and it's actually going to say David. The Holy Spirit knew. All right, chapter 3 of Hebrews. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, capital A, and high priest, capital H and P, of our profession, Christ Jesus. So there's some names for Jesus right there who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice. We just, does that sound familiar? So, Today. You know, I don't like the word procrastination. I don't like it. And I'm not going to explain why. I don't like the word. But today is the day. Don't put it off another day. You may not have tomorrow. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. So the Hebrew people would know this very well. They, if, if, as this is being written in the New Testament, the Hebrew people would, oh, that's that psalm, which is Psalm 95. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath 
they shall not enter into my rest. The, that whole generation died. Caleb and Joshua were the only two that were able to enter in. All the other people who were in doubt died in the wilderness. Joshua was able to take, as Moses died, Joshua took over, and he was the one who was able to take them through the Jordan into the promised land, which was the Canaan rest that all those people missed out on. Now, there are certain people who perished in the wilderness that I think, you know, just it's an example of unsaved people. But there are those who were saved but just never was able to enter in to the rest. So I, I think that there are people today that just don't get it, or they may become involved in church because they just, like anybody, they want to be involved, they want to make a difference, and they may, they may get in, involved with the church, they may even say a sinner's prayer one day, but not really be born again. You know, there are so many people who think if they walk down the aisle and come up front and just recite what the preacher tells them to say, that that saves them. I don't believe that. I just don't believe that. There's many people who get saved listening to something, uh, reading something, just reading the Bible on their own, and boom, it, they get it. Um, there's all kinds of different ways that a person will be awakened and it's the Holy Ghost that does it. The Holy Ghost covers them, and they become convicted. Maybe the story uh, when Charles Spurgeon thought he was saved, and he came to a church that wasn't even his church because of the snowstorm. I mean, that's an amazing story. And the preacher of that church didn't make it there because of the, snow, the snowstorm. So a guy sitting out there... In, in the pews, decided that there's no one here to do anything, so I better do something. He gets up, and he just opens up his Bible to Isaiah, and he just reads, look unto me, you know, look, un, look unto the Lord, look, look. And Charles Spurgeon's over there at, on the side, and, and it just hit him. The, the man, he just, he looked at this, he didn't even know who it was. It was some 16-year-old kid. And he said, you look miserable. And Spurgeon's over there going, if you only knew who I was. You know, my father's a preacher, and my grandfather, you know, just, you know, I'm on my way to a church way better than this one. And, you know, and, and, and the man was like, you are miserable. And Spurgeon had to admit, I am. So Spurgeon, he's just, he's standing there, and he's convicted by that word, by the word of God that this person just gets up and turns to it, and he just he's reading, I think it was Isaiah 45, and he's reading it, and he just turns and looks at Spurgeon, Spurgeon's, he's right, I am miserable. I think I thought I was saved because of who I was and what family I belonged to and what church I went to. And I, I was never happy, was never satisfied until that night and that snowstorm. And he... That was when he was born again. And within a year, he was preaching. And you know the history of Charles Spurgeon. I, I mention him often. A lot of preachers do. The Prince of Preachers. 
So I've seen too many people years gone by that just did something. Their emotions were moved. They were scared into something. They just came and did something because the preacher told them to do it. And they were told not to doubt, you're saved, and they turned around and walked out, and they were doubting. Because it wasn't real. We need the Word of God preached boldly. If you read enough of the Word of God, and you talk about it, and you pray about it, souls will begin to be saved. That's how it really happens. Hearing the Word. That's how it happened with me. I mean, I, I can remember growing up and all the chances, and all, going to the different churches, and it was always, uh, you need to come up, you need to come up, come on. And, and now, once, you're, once you are saved, you should want to confess with your mouth. You should want to say, yes, Jesus saved me. But we need to get past just that one experience of that day you got saved. Think about it. If, if someone tells you about the salvation experience and all they can tell you about is the 20 years ago or the 30 years ago or the 40 years ago when they got saved, and that's all they can tell you about. Did they ever really truly get saved? They need to be talking about all the things they've done for God since then. Think about it. It's not something you do on a day and that's it. You're still a little tiny baby needing everything. You've never matured into being a productive, growing and producing fruit for God. That's entering into His rest, understanding that you can't do it. He has done it all. Jesus did it all. When He was hanging on the cross, remember when God created the earth? He, he fixed everything. On the, on the sixth day, He was done. On the seventh day, He rested. He said, it's finished. It's done, and it's very good. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, He said, it is finished. Remember the story I, I talked about uh, D.L. Moody? and the latecomer coming to his crusade, and the guy was going, they were tearing everything down. Everything was being taken down, and everybody was leaving. They were gone. And he comes, what, what must I do to be saved? And D.L. Moody says, sorry, you're too late. And he ends up telling him, you're 2,000 years too late. What do you mean, what must you do to be saved? There's nothing you can do other than believe it. You know, God can forgive all sin except that one sin. It's a sin unto death. It's unbelief. Unbelief. It's the only thing He can't forgive. The day, as in the provocation 16, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses... But with whom was he grieved forty years? That's asking that question. But with whom was it not 
with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So, we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. I just read that out of the Bible. Following along? Chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if the, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his work. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, there it is, in David, today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So what, what happens is people come into this world with just a little light. Jesus gives everybody just a little light. That's in John 1, John chapter 1. If you read all of John chapter 1, you'll see where Jesus gave a little light to everybody who enters into this earth, that, that's born into this world. Now, Every time you reject Him, every time you do it your way and not His way, you're in danger of your heart being, heart being hardened. A little kid, when they do something wrong, they'll hide. Right? Why? Because there's a, there's a conscience inside of them. It's that little light that Jesus gives to everybody. That's why it's so important that you punish a child for doing wrong. We're living in a day right now that kids are not punished for doing wrong. And the person who wants to discipline them is the bad person for not disciplining little kids. Little kids, they need to be disciplined more than you know. Now, a little baby from born to one year, I've heard that you can't spoil them enough. You can't hold them enough. You can't give them enough attention. But once that one year hits, and they start to learn how to walk, and they start grabbing things, and they start doing things, they need to be trained up in the way they should go. Now, I didn't realize how many people get offended when you say, train up a child in the way they should go. Well, my kids aren't dogs. 
I'm not training them. And I've actually said to some people, it's a shame that your dogs act better than your kids. Yeah, it didn't go over well. Your kids are going to be trained. I just hope that you decide to train them and not let the others train them. They're going to be trained. They're going to be molded into something. Parents should be the ones who train up their child, and the Bible should be the way you train up your child. You should know the Word of God, and you should raise your kids that way. So, if you let people get away with wrong things, remember, that kid does something wrong, and it wants to hide. The kid wants to hide. Why? Because he knows he did something wrong. If it doesn't get punished, then as time goes on and he keeps getting away with stuff, that's the hardening of the heart. The guilty conscience starts to leave them. And it makes it more and more difficult for them to hear anything and to take it in. So that's the hardening of the heart. As believers, you know, we minister, we've got to minister to the kids because the longer someone goes along and gets into these things of life and they like their sin and they get more and more, and, and the longer they go without being punished, the heart's hardened. Verse 8. Now, if you're following along, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Now, any new version of the Bible, it's going to say, for if Joshua had given them rest... Now, Joshua and Jesus mean exactly the same thing as far as what the name means. So this is talking about Joshua in the Old Testament and, and trying to take them into the promised land. Okay? But the spelling for Joshua is going to be Jesus in the New Testament. Just like Isaiah is Esaias and Elijah in the Old Testament is Elias in the King James. Well, here's an issue of uh, spelling. So this is Joshua but Joshua and Jesus mean the same thing. Now, this it says Jesus here. I'm not going to change it. <clears throat> I'm leaving it Jesus. I'm too scared to change the Word of God. So, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? And here's the critical verse. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now, we've talked about creation rest at the beginning of, the, of 4. Then we've, we're talking about Canaan rest, where Joshua could have taken the people into the promised land, but they were uh, doubtful. They, they, just, they messed up when they went in. Even Joshua messed up. Joshua failed after going, it, going across the Jordan, going into the promised land, having that great victory at Jericho, we're in uh, Hebrews 4, down around, uh, we're at verse 9. Joshua did not secure the border or, or the sea coast, the other border, the West Bank side, what we know of today as the West Bank. 
there's too many places that he made a league or or a covenant with the Gibeonites. You remember that the, the Gibeonite people? They tricked him. They they pretended like they were from a long ways away. Do you, I don't know if you remember that story in the beginning of Joshua, where they had great victory at Jericho. They got whipped at Ai, that little tiny town. They thought, nah, that's a piece. Of, we just we just took care of Jericho. Oh yeah, Ai, no problem at all. And they got whipped there. It was very embarrassing. Joshua was devastated. But there was some disobedience that went with taking Jericho. One man sinned. One man. And he hid it, and it caused them to fail at Ai. And he was found out. And him, along with all his family, were killed because of it. So you can read beginning of Joshua, Josh, first several chapters of Joshua and read all those stories. So then the third people they were supposed to wipe out was, would be the Gibeonites, but yet people from that nation, they came to him and acted like they were from a long ways away, and they got Joshua, tricked him into making a, a covenant with them to where he wouldn't hurt them. Well, why not? Why not Joshua? Why wouldn't he just go ahead and say, oh, they tricked me, and therefore, null and void, the contract's no good. What you say and what you agree to should mean something. When you make a covenant with someone, you should follow it through. That's, that's what you get out of that. Even if you were tricked into it, you've got to be so careful about who you make a covenant with. That can be in marriage. That can be in all kinds of areas of our life. When we say before God, I will, I do, all this, you're supposed to carry it through. The Gibeonites tricked him. They were a sore for Israel forever. The Philistines were a sore to the Israelites all through the judges, the Phoenicians, all those people that Joshua did not eliminate, take, take out. They were a sore to Israel. Same way with us. Jericho would be like the world. Achan was told not to take, like everybody else, but he took. And he hid it. We are not to take anything out of the world for, for how we live. It's, it's all got to be God's way. We can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work. They, that, that's Jericho. You, you, you get victory in Jericho by a miracle. You walk around the walls for, for one day every day for so many days, six days, then the seventh day you walk around seven times, 13 trips around it, boom, it falls down. You got, God, God gave you the victory. You just need to obey in it. You, you've conquered the world. Are you going to take anything with you? What, what kinds of sins or things you like in the world that you want to take with you into this new birth? Are you going to be like Achan? Are you going to take some things with you? You can't do that. AI, that city represented our flesh. We think, little old me, I'm just one person in this big, huge world. My flesh is no big deal. 
I'll just, I'll just work on it. And it gets us every time. We say, well, I know the Bible says the old man is crucified, but I like the version that says the old man is being crucified. <clears throat> and in that way, if, if I do something bad, I can just blame it on the old man. Well, the Bible says the old man is dead. He's crucified. He's gone. So how can you blame it on him? So the flesh is a constant sore if we believe that we still are subject to it. And then the Gibeonites, I think, represent the devil and how he's sneaky. He lies to you. He starts to cause doubt. And you end up making a league with him, and you're stuck. So the world, the flesh, and the devil, those are our three enemies. And how successful are we at having victory in those three areas? And, it's, and I think all three areas has really nothing to do with our strength. You can be the weakest person ever and get victory in all of those areas if you do it God's way. Because every one of those victories, God was going to give it to them. All they had to do was believe Him and do it His way. Good news, there remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. And that's Calvary rest. For he that entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. What have I just been talking about? Think about what I've just been saying about it's not about what we can do, the weakest person. So quit worrying about how many works you do to try to overcome all these things and enter into his rest. You're, you're, the, you're that African guy on the back of that pickup truck still holding that huge load over top of your head. Don't you realize that it's pretty obvious that the truck is able to handle you and your load? Jesus is able to handle you and your load. Don't try to help him out with it. It's silly. It's just really silly to try to help. When you're already in Him, lay it down. Cease from His own work as God did from His. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now, this next verse seems like it's kind of out of place, but it's, it's not. Because what are you believing? You're believing the Word of God, right? There are so many people who don't want to read the Word of God. And it's like, why do you, why do you not want to read it? <clears throat> because of what it does to you. This verse is one of my favorites. For the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. The Word of God, this is different than any other book you'll ever pick up. Every other book is written by a person, and it's just words. It's just their experience, what they think. But this is Holy Spirit-inspired. The men who wrote these things, it wasn't just them writing it. God inspired them to write these things. So this word is so different. It's quick or alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing 
even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Well, that came up in Sunday school a while back. Soul and spirit. How do you... Where's the soul? Where's the spirit? What's the soul? What's the spirit? Read all through your Bible and try to figure it out. Look through your commentaries. Try to find somebody who will explain soul and spirit. Go to the doctor and have him open you up and go down inside of you and just try to find your soul and your spirit. But the Word of God, it's a sharp two-edged sword, and the surgery that the Bible does to you, it gets down inside of you and it can divide apart the soul and the spirit. The Word can do it. And of the joints and marrow, the marrow inside of your bones, it can get down that deep inside of you and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, you might say a lot of things. You may brag about when you got saved and how much Bible you've read and all the church work you've done. You may say a lot of things, but the Word of God knows what's really, really inside of you. And it's able to discern your thoughts and even the intent of your heart. Why do you do the things you're doing? Is it because you're trying to save yourself? Or is it because you love God and Jesus Christ? We need people who just love Jesus with all their hearts. And they do great things because they love Jesus. Not because they're trying to be acceptable to Him. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You can't trick him. When you read the Word of God, you find out that it's reading you. That's why people have a hard time getting into the Word. I am so confident that the more of this we read, the more that I speak it out from up here, just speak it out, the more that happens, the more it convicts. When I teach about something crazy and people go, what? No way. And they go home and open up their Bibles, i got to find this out for myself, and they start reading it, and they go, oh, it's going to convict them. It's going to do what it's supposed to do. The Word of God is sent out, and it's going to do what it's meant to do. It's not returning to Him void. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, he's a perfect high priest. Remember, at the beginning of this, and over in uh, 3, it talked about him being our apostle. He was the sent one. And then he's our high priest, which means he left here and went up to be at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us we can go directly to the throne of grace because of Jesus. He is our high priest. There's no one on this earth that should be a priest that is your go-between. 
Jesus took care of that. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was God in the flesh. When he died on the cross, that was perfect, unblemished Lamb of God that was able to die for all of mankind, anybody who will believe on him. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that awesome? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we know that we need to know it. We need to have knowledge of your word. We need to meditate on it. You know, eat it up. Let, it, let your word nourish us. And give us the strength to do the things that we know we should do by entering in to your finished work. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.